Thank you, Bruce McCoy. Uh, Brother McCoy is a lot older than he looks like he is. And uh, so back before most of you were born, uh, Bruce was singing with Jerry Falwell all across the country in the early days of his ministry. Then he went to be a pastor in Missouri, and shortly after he served as president of the Missouri Baptist Convention, we were able to entice him to come here, and uh, we're very, very grateful for the talent that that family has and the way they use it for the Lord. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Luke, and in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and we will read just six verses today, beginning in verse 27. Chapter 5 of Luke, beginning in verse 27. And keep your Bible open, because I want to point out several things to you. The message today is simply entitled, Don't Forget Levi. Don't Forget Levi. What are you going to do this summer? Very shortly, you will finish the semester by seeing how many pancakes you can cram into your mouth and stomach. I would used to be able to keep up with you, but I can't anymore. Uh, nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see who wins the contest and who actually studies some over there uh, at the annual pancake cram. Then we'll come to graduation, and uh, then we will depart in 5,000 directions to go and uh, do the work of the Lord this summer. And while you're going, I don't want you to overlook Levi, okay? So let's read in chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel. After these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. But the scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. And with that text, we are introduced to Levi, or as most of you know him better, Matthew. 35 years ago, at this time of year, shortly after this, my wife and I were floating on the Mediterranean Sea on a cruise ship. We had a small group of 300 with us. I'll never try that again. And uh, these 300 were uh, all interested in seeing Greece and seeing northern Egypt and the Holy Land, and so we had taken them over there. We had our children with us, and, and uh, we were so busy trying to take care of the needs of 300 people that Armour, my son, who was nine at the time, frequently was missing in action. I don't think there was any missing action, but he was missing from us, and we would say, I would think about him, and I would say, Dorothy, have you seen armor? And he, she would say, I thought he was with you. 
and I would say, I haven't seen him since early this morning. Has anybody seen anyone go overboard? Uh, where in the world is the child? And day after day after day, as we floated the Mediterranean, we were unable to locate my son. And so finally, on one day, when it let up just a little bit and I could actually take a few moments, I went on a shipwide tour to see if I could locate what on earth had happened to my son. And I was a little startled when I found him on the top deck, sitting in a deck chair and talking to a man who was, to say the least, considerably older than my son. As a matter of fact, I would reckon that the man might have been 65 years of age. And I thought I would not interrupt because they looked to be deep in conversation, the nine-year-old and the 65-year-old. And finally, I just decided that my curiosity was such that I better butt in and find out what was going on. So I walked up and I said to the gentleman, sir, I certainly hope that this young man is not being a problem to you. Oh, he said he's not a problem at all. He said, we've been meeting here every day, and we've had quite a conversation today. We're talking about marine life, and uh, we're talking about all the things that we've seen in the waters, and we were uh, charmed by a group of porpoises that just came through, and my goodness, this boy knows all about the life of porpoises, and I didn't know that, but I accepted it, and so I said to him, well, I, I just hope he wasn't a problem to you, and he said he wasn't, and I said, well, I'm Paige Patterson, and he's held out his hand, and he said, I am Michael DeBakey. When he said, I'm Michael DeBakey, I was so stunned, I couldn't say anything else. Michael DeBakey was the world's foremost heart surgeon. He was known around the world. He died just a few years ago at 99 years of age. But he was world famous. There was not a continent to which you could go that you would not have known Dr. DeBakey. And here is my nine-year-old son sitting on the deck day after day after day for hours at a time conversing with the world's most famous heart surgeon. Now, folks, I want to tell you, you never know who's there. And you miss some of the greatest opportunities of life by just not being observant and just not being friendly. I want you to look at what this text tells us. After these things, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. Now, there is a word for see in the Greek New Testament, horao, and uh, it means that you glance over and you see something. You saw a car go by. You saw an airplane fly over. You just glanced at it and it registered with you what was happening, and that's all. That's not the word that's used here. The word used here is theaomai. It gives us our word theater. And what is a theater? Well, you know what a theater is. You go all the time. You shouldn't, but you do. And uh, so you go to the theater, and uh, what do you do? You get your popcorn and your Coke, and uh, you walk in there, 
and you glance up at the silver screen and then you go home and you eat your popcorn, drink your Coke on the way home. Well, that would be silly. What would be the point of that? No, at a theater, you get your popcorn, you get your Coke and you go in and you sit down and for the next hour and a half, you stare at the screen. If it's Dances with Wolves, one of the long movies that came out, you're sitting there for three hours, man, eating that popcorn. You go through several bags of popcorn and several Cokes in that time. You're just sitting there watching the screen. They are, oh my. To carefully observe. Our Lord carefully observed people. He was interested in people. He found people to be fascinating. And he could get up a discussion and a talk about almost anything and turn people to the gospel. So he saw, carefully observed, a tax collector named Levi. Now the man is a tax collector. He is a Jew. He is working for the Roman government. That's the worst thing you could be, could do. It would be like if you heard tomorrow that I had gone to work for the Obama administration. You would be a little shocked by that and would probably want some kind of an explanation. Well, Levi had gone to work for the Antichrist, so it was, uh, for the Roman government. And so nobody but fellow tax collectors and people in an upper crust of society ever paid a moment's attention to him. They had whatever business done with him they had to do at the point of a Roman sword. And then they got as far away from Matthew or Levi as they possibly could, hoping that he wouldn't remember what they looked like. Jesus didn't see him that way. Jesus saw something else in this tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he simply said to him, follow me. Apparently, Jesus believed in extending invitations. Apparently, he thought it was important to challenge men to respond to the call of the master. Imagine how magnetic his personality must have been. He walks by and says to Levi, you follow me. And for a reason that Levi couldn't have told you, he couldn't have explained it in the next 60 years. It was the strangest thing that ever happened in his life, but he felt compelled to follow the Lord Jesus. There's never a time when we ought to be shy about extending invitations. Now, you don't have to be ugly about it. You shouldn't be. It ought to be a pleasant thing to follow Jesus. The Lord said, follow me, and he followed him. In fact, look what he did. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Yeah, that's exactly what we're asking folks to do. We're asking him to leave everything because everything they presently have will take them to hell. So we're asking them, leave everything, get up from where you are, and follow me. Jesus and the invitation, and Levi followed along. Now, Levi is thrilled with his new life in Christ. 
I, I'm telling you what, this man is excited about it. You can tell he's excited, but he's got a problem. How on earth does he tell other people about Jesus? What does he know about Jesus? Well, he'd heard a little bit. He'd heard that blind men could see and lame men could walk and a funeral or two had been broken up, so he's pretty impressed about that, but, but he didn't know what to tell people about Jesus. And this Lord Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And he felt compelled to do it. Now he wants all of his friends to know about Jesus. Now that is as natural as it can be. That does not change until you get a new believer around too many Christians. And once he gets around too many Christians, he forgets that he's responsible for his friends. But naturally, as soon as he's saved, he knows that he wants his friends. He doesn't want his friends to go to hell. He wants his friends to go to heaven. He wants his friends to know Jesus. And so he wants to do something, but what on earth is he going to do? What's he going to say? Look what he does. Then Levi gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. I don't know how to talk about Jesus yet. I, I'm going to write the Gospel of Matthew someday. Oh, he didn't know that, but that's coming. I, I'm going to write the Gospel account of this coming Jesus, but right now, he doesn't know enough to tell anybody about Jesus. So what does he do? I'm going to throw a great feast in my home. Now, the word great there, you're going to love it, is the word doxa in Greek. It's usually translated glory. I'm going to throw a glorious feast for the Lord Jesus. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful thing to do. Did you know, even if you don't know how to talk to anybody about Jesus, you can invite someone to a meal? You can do that. And Matthew and Levi was a man with uh, considerable funds. He evidently had a big house in a day when big houses were not prominent. And so what he thinks is, what I'll do is to give a feast to the Lord Jesus. And while he's there and all my friends are there, they can all get to know him also. This is a creative man. And so he throws this great feast at his house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. All because Jesus saw in a special way Levi. And now that chance meeting with Levi the tax collector has resulted in a congregation being brought together to have a common meal and get to know Jesus. And Jesus is not offended about being there. He is happy to be there among sinners. That's a point to which I wish to return in just a moment. Well, let's see what happens. Well, there come the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they are complaining, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're complaining against the disciples. And that word complaining is an onomatopoetic word. It sounds like what it is in Greek. It's gongusmo. They are gongusmo. They are complaining against the disciples, saying, why 
are you eating with tax collectors of all things and other sinners? Now, the answer to that ought to be as clear as a nose on your face because there's no other way to witness to them. You can't witness to somebody you're never around. Part of the difficulty that we Christians have is that we are around mostly people that think like we do and that claim to be believers, even if they're lost. And so the fact is that we're not where sinners go. We've got to go where sinners go, a point to which I'll return in a moment also. Well, they said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus apparently overheard it. And Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Folks who are sick have need of a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus was cognizant of sinners. Now, there are five different responses that people normally have to people who are known sinners. We're all sinners. But some people have made a practice of public sinning. And so one of five things happens. Number one, we are deciding to imitate them. We think that to be with a sinner is to do what a sinner will do. And so some of the most serious alcoholics today in America are not in the bar, but they're in pastorates of churches. We think we've got to imitate what the sinner does in order to make friends with him. Or secondly, sometimes like the Pharisees here, we simply despise them. Look at that low life over there. Look at what kind of life he's living. What kind of a life did you expect him to live before he came to know Christ? What kind of a life did you live before you came to know Christ? What kind of a life have you lived sometime since you came to know Christ? The fact of the matter is that there's no reason to despise a sinner. He's acting out his confession of unfaith. Well, some people fear them. Oh, these are big men. They've got money. And uh, I'll witness to a poor man, but to witness to a rich man, I never think of doing that because I am intimidated by them. Some people just ignore them. That's what most of us do. Many of you will spend the summer pursuing your own activities and you'll never see Levi because you don't notice sinners. But Jesus loves sinners. He recognized that he was a spiritual physician and that the spiritually sick needed a spiritual physician. And so our Lord explained, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, let me just say in passing, there's some funny theology out there around about repentance. There are people who say that repentance is not essential to salvation. They amaze me. Jesus put the whole thing in terms of repentance right here. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners under repentance. 
Friends, what it's all about is calling sinners to repent. Now, repentance and faith and regeneration occur simultaneously. But while they occur simultaneously, there is an order. You cannot trust Jesus by faith until you are genuinely sorry for your sin. Godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation. Is that what the Bible says? And it only has to say it once for it to be true, but it says it many more times. Godly sorrow. When you are heartbroken over your condition before God, when you are in godly sorrow, you will be led to repentance, turning away from your old way. And when you turn away from that old way, placing your faith in Christ, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God regenerates you and makes you new. That's what you're asking people to do. That's why Jesus said, I have not come, come to call righteous people to repentance, but to call sinners to repentance. He recognized a sinner in Levi, but he saw so much more. He recognized a sinner in Levi, but he saw a potential saint. He recognized a sinner in Levi, but he saw a man who would be so effective in his use of the gospel someday that he would pen the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus saw what nobody else could see. That's true. But if you'll learn to see sinners as the objects of God's love, it is amazing what you'll find will happen. When I served as pastor of First Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas, there was in town at that time two major streets. And uh, those two major streets came to a uh, position of intersecting one another right where our church was, the First Baptist Church on the corner. And uh, if you went on further down this street in a westerly direction, you would come to the University of Arkansas. And uh, I'm grateful for the University of Arkansas for many things, but among other things, your graduate names out there in the sidewalk, I learned from the University of Arkansas, where every graduate has his name put in the cement. And so we said, let's do that. And so when you graduate, if you graduate, when you graduate, you will graduate. We'll put your name in the sidewalk right out there, okay? And so uh, the, the University of Arkansas is down there. The long street in between was the haunt of every conceivable bar you can imagine. Now, I had uh, uh, started a coffee house there called The Ear. The entrance to it, we built a big ear out there, and you walked in through the ear. And uh, it was entering another realm, the ear. And there we uh, added some electrical spools that we uh, got for tables, and, and uh, we would, uh, every night about uh, 10 o'clock at night, we would have our services down there in the ear and entertain the kids and witness to them and uh, try to make a difference. Well, sometimes we didn't have many kids in, and on those nights, well, I'd take uh, somebody with me, and we'd just start down the street witnessing to people there between the church and uh, the university. 
and so on. One evening, I stopped and looked at this particular bar, and as distinctively as if he had spoken audibly, God said, that's the one. You go in that one. And so I started toward it. The young man who was a very godly young man who was visiting with me, he hung back. And I said, come on. And he said, I don't go in places like that. I said, you're going now. And he said, why am I going now? And I said, because I can't afford to go in places like that by myself. I want a witness to what I'm doing. And so with grave reluctance, he walked in to that bar. Well, when we walked into the bar, I walked over to the bartender. I didn't know at that moment that he was also the owner of the bar. But I walked up to him, and I took a business card, and I handed it to him. And I said, sir, I'm Paige Patterson. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church right down here. When I said that, the place got deadly quiet. <laughs> Everybody in there turned and looked at me. And I said, I'm giving you this card because I know that in establishments like yours, there are times when people are desperately hurt. And when they don't have an answer to anything except to drink too much. And I want you to keep my card there handy. And whenever you have a man like that, I want you to give me a call and I'll come down and I'll get him and take him home. He said, are you serious with me? I said, I am perfectly serious. He said, that happens all the time. He said, there's forever somebody in here trying to drown his sorrows. And you, you going to come and take that man? I said, that's exactly what I'm willing to do. Well, I couldn't tell you how many times across the next couple of years he called me, but surely 15 or 20 that he called me and asked me to come get a man. Oftentimes they would go with me and go home and I'd have the opportunity to, to speak to him about Christ. And one night I was in there and the man didn't want to go with me and wouldn't go. And so I started to leave and God said, wait a minute, you've never actually shared with the bartender. And so I walked over to him. And I said to Mr. Catter, I said, uh, sir, you have worked here for quite a while. He said, I own the place. I said, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Catter. I said, well, sir, I just wonder, you've been kind enough to call me again and again and again to come and help you with somebody who was trying to drown his sorrows. And sir, what about you? I said, what about the sorrows in your life? He said, you don't have time to hear about them. I said, yes, I do. And I sat down on a bar stool. He looked funny. I said, milk. <laughs> he said, coming up, it's the best drink in the house. And he turned around and got me a milk and set it on the platform, on the, on the bar, and once again, I had everybody's attention in the whole place. So it was a very public witness that I gave to him. But when I finished, I said, Mr. Ketter, would you like to receive Jesus tonight as your Savior? He said, I need to do that more than anything else in this world. And he trusted the Lord. Now, folks, I eventually baptized most of his whole family. And, 
and God moved greatly in that situation. He did have a lot of troubles in life, and he struggled throughout his life until he died. But I believe today Mr. Ketter's in heaven. You know why I believe he's in heaven? I believe he's in heaven because God said, you're to go where sinners go. Not do what sinners do, but go where sinners go. And not only to go where sinners go, but you're to take them seriously. There are people with heartaches and sorrows, and they may or may not admit them to you right now, but they, they don't know where they're going what they're doing. And they're looking for somebody who does have an answer to it. Thank God the Lord Jesus was looking for Levi. And I wonder what you're going to do this summer. Will you look for sinners? Is there anything nobler that you could do this summer than to appear before God and say, Lord, I've brought to you a convert to trust you as Savior. Anything better you could do than to spend a little money for a meal? When you don't know quite how to approach the person, could you take them for a meal? Could you sit down with them at the meal and just talk about Texas Rangers or whatever else you want to talk about to them and wait for the opportunity to arise, knowing that if you go through a whole meal, the opportunity will arise for you to tell them about Jesus. Sweet children, that's what this is all about. It's not about getting a degree. It's not even about learning the Bible. We do that, I hope, I pray. We want you to. It's not about learning to preach. It's not about getting a career. This whole thing is about one thing and one thing only. And that's recognizing Levi needs an invitation to follow Jesus. May God grant that we use our summer wisely. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much today for the testimony of Jesus regarding Levi. Thank you that he loved him. I wish I knew that I would have, but thank God Jesus loved him and set the example. God, this summer as we go forth and go all over the world, may we keep looking for Levi. When we find him, may we say, come, follow the master in whose name we pray, amen.